0: It's another week, and another holiday is upon us. This is Halloween, and we're digging out all the creepy goodies tonight. Good evening, gamers. As featured on The Zen Show, this is RPG Showcase, found every other week at www.rpgshowcase.com. And I am your host, Mike Conway. You can contact me at mike at rpgshowcase.com as usual, and I thank all the people that have written in thus far. I've gotten valuable input that will go towards making the show better, and I've gotten terrific show ideas. I want to thank BoomerDad especially for reminding me that there are beginners out there, especially beginner GMs. So the next episode will feature a special on how to make adventures if you never have before. No, it is not against the rules to make your own adventures for your favorite game, and I'm going to tell you where to begin, how to do it the easiest, and how to make your players think you are the shiznit. As I said earlier, RPG Showcase got a shout-out from Zen, who hosts the popular podcast The Zen Show. He played my promo, gave his opinion on the site, and said it was really cool, and that the show was awesome. Thanks, Zen. He featured me on the landmark 10th episode, which I gave a listen to, and it was a lot of fun. He seems to be an avid gamer, and he not only covered the show, but also a gaming-related comic called Order of the Stick. I'm glad he talked about it, because it's a pretty darn funny webcomic. I'm going to listen to his show as well, as well as read the webcomic. Zen talks about the comic more in depth in his podcast, so give it a listen. By the way, Zen, thanks for the reminder that I probably need a new promo for the show, since I originally did it when I was promoting the show's launch. Looks like it's time to get something new out there, yes? You can find The Zen Show at www.thezenshow.com, and Zen is spelled with an X instead of a Z. That's Z-E-N. That's not Z-E-N, it's X-E-N. Sorry about that. A link to the Zen show is on the website, so that way you don't have to listen to me try and spell it out. You know I'm a sucker for charities and helping people, so my first tidbit today comes from Swords Edge Publishing. They're in the process of planning a charity product to help out the victims of the earthquake in Southeast Asia. They need writing, they need art, and they need any help they can get. You can find them at swordsedgepublishing.ca for more information. Remember how I said I wouldn't cover online RPGs unless there was a tabletop version made of it? Well, Eden Studios, publishers of witchcraft and all flesh must be eaten, both great Halloween games, has done the crossover and is releasing City of Heroes in a tabletop version. This was originally um, actually announced in March, but to give us fans something to chew on until they get the full rulebook released, they've put out a quick start version of the game. It features the play rules, lots of sample characters and how to play them, and a sample adventure. There's more info at www.cityofheroesrpg.com. The game uses the Unisystem, so it promises to be fun. On a sad note, some bad news, acclaimed fantasy artist Keith Parkinson passed away on Wednesday October 26 after a lengthy battle with leukemia. He was 47 and is survived by his wife Donna and his sons Nick and Zach. For those of you who are not familiar with Keith's work, he helped define the look of modern swords and sorcery style art. His heroes were strong, his women were beautiful, and his worlds were immense. His artwork has appeared on many pieces for TSR and Palladium books, scores of novels, and on many collectible card game cards. He was even the co-designer for the Guardians card game. For a good example of his art, look at the EverQuest box next time you're at your local video game store. That's his art. You can see more at www.keithparkinson.com. You'll be glad you did. You'll be missed, Keith. Good journey. One last piece of news, RPG Now is expanding into distribution. That's right, the market leader in PDF game sales has signed deals with three of the top distributors to put out print versions of products from their website. That's right gamers, if you love what you find there, you'll be soon be able to get it at your friendly local game shop. Rock on! More on this as it develops. Since it's Halloween again, I thought it would be most appropriate to give a once-over to White Wolf Games' new World of Darkness. I'm not covering Vampire, Werewolf, or Mage at this time. This review is for the core World of Darkness rulebook, which you need in order to play any of the other games. On the one hand, this seems about as smart a move as July's Debacle, where they said that you couldn't charge for Mind's Eye Theater games unless everyone involved, including the players, joined the Kamaria fan club. We all know how that went over, eh? However, after reflecting on it, this might be a really good move, since you have one main book for the rules, and all the other books will be able to focus on what's really important. The setting. The World of Darkness book is hardcover and expensive if you get it at the store, which was part of my initial reaction. You know, you buy the, you gotta pay a lot of money for the main rule book. you pay a lot of money for Vampire, or whatever. But right now, though, you can get it for free at drive-through-rpg.com if you don't mind your name being tacked to the bottom of every page when you download it. Just a brief note before we start. The World of Darkness has imagery, themes, and language more suited to an older gaming audience. Player discretion is definitely advised. Okay, let's go ahead and get to the meat of this. You take a look at the cover, and the inside it looks creepy. The artwork and photographs are dark, distorted, kind of eerie, perfect for the World of Darkness. It's a beautiful book to behold, and the look and feel of it begin to draw you in from the get-go. Unlike the World of Darkness series of the past, where you start out as some kind of supernatural beastie, the main rulebook starts you out by creating a mortal first. You make your character as human as anything else to start with. Then you can either keep them like that, or you can choose a faction for them, such as vampire, werewolf, mage, or whatever they come out with later, all of which are not dealt with in this book. You're going to have to buy those books separately if you want to play those creatures. But still, playing a human who's lived a normal life, and then is suddenly exposed to the dark underside of the world, that could be a lot of fun to play. Heck, the way they've done it this time around, how easy would it be to make a base character and then attach different factions to him to see how different he'd be with each faction? A creative GM, called a storyteller here, yeah, could try different games with this technique. Think about it. Last week, you played Damien as a vampire, but now with the new storyteller, um, with the new game the storyteller is starting up, how would he be different as a werewolf? If you really wanted to go for the Gusto, build yourself as a base character and then attach the factions on the same way. Yeah, baby! To really get you pulled in, a lot of the rulebook, especially the first couple chapters, uh, setting information is given to you in either the form of short fiction or flash fiction, or as documents that your characters might see. This was used in the old World of Darkness books, and it's used here again, and it definitely keeps the material from getting boring. Very entertaining to read. After all, what better place to get information from than from the setting itself, right? The world of darkness itself seems to have been widened in its scope. No longer just limited to the staple monsters you'd see in the base books, uh, there are hints of other monsters like Bigfoot, Cthulhu-type critters, even aliens from outer space. This is something I certainly hope they expand upon. There's a very interesting story in the first chapter about a race of angels called the First Children who came to Earth, served a being called the God Machine and they communicated with him via prayer signals. They got humans to build a gigantic city, and the humans eventually rebelled since the angels were kind of kicking back and resting on the lords of their work. And the angels, um, having been tossed out now, cursed the humans in various ways, like taking away the humans' ability to talk to the god machine. Something that's really nice, there's a two-page spread of common roles that you're likely to use throughout the game. I recommend you photocopy this page. Seriously. A big plus is the fact that no matter where you are in the book, you're going to find a ton of examples. Pretty much every rule has an example to go with it, so there's no doubt that you're going to be able to understand a rule when it's explained. Merits and flaws, which were always an optional rule in any of the old games, are back and they're an official part of character generation. Flaws are different here in that you choose only one that defines you. In a similar matter are personality traits like virtues and vices. When you make your character, you pick one virtue like charity, faith, or justice, and one vice. You know, think the seven deadly sins. These not only define you, but if you play them properly, even the vices, you'll be able to recover your willpower a lot more quickly. The mechanic is something I'm not too fond of. Dice pool. This seems to be popular in a lot of games of late. I can't figure why, but... Oh well. Attributes and skills are all rated on a scale of one to five. To do anything, you either add two attributes together, or you add an attribute to a skill. Most of the time, you have to beat a target number of 8, and how well you did determines how many successful rolls you make. One success would be a mediocre success easily, while six successes on the dice pretty darn good. So basically, you roll... They're actually dots, the way it does it now. Well, I mean, it did it that way before, but they have dots, and each dot is a die that you roll. And each success you roll, there you go. Now, when doing combat, damage is also determined this way. Each success that you get equals one point of damage. Now, by way of comparison, the Witchcraft RPG, which was the first game to use the Unisystem, is just rolling a d10 and adding the total of an attribute and a skill, and you just try to beat a nine. Plain and simple. And I wouldn't mind seeing White Wolf offering something like that or, you know, very similar as an optional mechanic at some point. Bonuses and penalties are from 1 to 5 as well. Each plus or minus either gives you an extra die to roll or takes one away. With sufficient bonuses, you could be rolling a lot of dice here, but the more dice you roll, the likely you are to succeed. So there! Guess I told me, huh? I anyway, A neat idea here is that some actions will determine how much time each roll takes. Like if you're building something, each roll might represent two hours of building. Now you might make a mistake along the way, so if you don't roll that success, guess what? Okay, if you're crunched for time, you might take a penalty. This is the most realistic way of handling time-based tasks that I've ever seen. If your game has a lot of action in it, you won't be disappointed here either. There's plenty of action-based rules too, like if your character is going to be jumping from one card to the other, like in the Matrix. They have rules for it. Combat's straightforward enough. Roll initiative, which is 1d10, and then you take your dexterity and composure scores, add those to the result. Highest number goes first. When you attack, uh, which is rolled like other actions. Of course, the rolls depend on the attack form, like strength plus brawl for punching someone, or dexterity plus weaponry for shooting someone. Weapons will add dice to your attack dice pool, and opponent's dice. I'm sorry, an opponent's defense removes dice from your dice pool. Whatever's left, you roll. Damage is handled by each success dealing one point of damage. Uh, it is a little complex, though, when you have to take into account the different types of damage, like bashing damage, lethal damage, aggravated damage, and so on. You just draw lines at different angles for each one. This might slow a game down a little bit, having to keep track of all the different type of damage. Uh, the storytelling chapter, hey, it's a storytelling system, Natch, is chock full of how to run adventures in the world of darkness, about hapless mortals piercing the veil of what's hidden, and how to set the proper mood and atmosphere, and even how to coax a little role playing action from someone who's a wallflower. This is a valuable resource, and even if you just want to roleplay a simple horror game and not bring in the vampires and so on into your game. I downloaded my version for free off of DriveThroughRPG.com. It would have been nice if there had been hyperlinks in the table of contents and in the the index. However, the PDF does come with bookmarks on it, so that's definitely a plus. A little bit of a pet peeve that I saw um, was a quote from Bhagavad Gita, which is a sacred Hindu text. Now guys, if you're going to quote a holy work, you need to tell people the chapter and verse, not just the book you got it from. My own copy of the Gita was translated from someone else, but I wanted to compare translations and check out the context. But I don't know where in the book they took it from. I might know, but I'm not sure. I used—I personally use the "as it is" translation by His Holiness A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Now, some things I would have liked to see in the book would have been some character examples to go along with the plethora of examples scattered throughout the book. They have all these other examples. It's—you know—it would have been nice just to have some sample characters to go with them. It's always nice to be able to compare your character with an official one just to make sure you're doing it right. Another thing would have been uh, maybe a faction or three that could be specific to just the rulebook so that way you have the full experience of making a supernatural character instead of having to um, wait for the next book or wait for your paycheck so you can get the vampire rulebook or whichever one. But other than these things, the World of Darkness rulebook is a great intro into a familiar but very new setting. It got very exciting Sorry, I got very excited paging through the rulebook. It's available as a Halloween gift from White Wolf on drivethroughrpg.com. Give World of Darkness a download and start playing. If you plan on celebrating the Feast of Samhain by roleplaying, the best thing to do is to sit down with a horror roleplaying game and get an experience better than telling ghost stories around a campfire. Pick up your dice and start screaming. Horror roleplaying, though, is a bit different from other types of roleplaying. There's things you do, and things you don't do. I've and played enough of Call of Cthulhu and World of Darkness to know, especially some of the mistakes a GM can make. So here's a list of horror game do's and don'ts. Now first of all, as you get into the really creepy part of the game, do split up the party. I know this flies in the face of other types of role-playing games where they say they shouldn't happen. Never split up the party! But in horror, isolation is wonderful. When they're all alone, with no one to help them, your players will fear for their characters' lives, especially if it looks like that no one will ever find them, or even find their desecrated body. When you're running the game, don't be obvious. Other games and so forth use zombies, vampires, and werewolves. It's old hat. Go the route of Wes Craven and Clive Barker. Make your own monsters and villains. No one who saw Hellraiser was prepared for the kind of monster that Pinhead was. Freddie Krueger, he could kill you in your dreams. Talk about isolation. Okay now, do set the proper mood. Lower the lights if you can. Set out candles, real or electric, and put on some creepy music at low volume. You don't want it too loud, but just enough so that things seem unreal and scary. You might not even start out the game session with the low lights and the creepy music. Plenty of horror movies start out happy and bright with people happy and getting along and full of love and peace and joy and happiness, and that's how you know people are going to start dying. (laughs) When you start getting into the really creepy parts, take a break, and then get the mood set. When the players come back from their smoke breaks or from the munchie runs, ooh. When you're picking your music, try to find something uh... really good, really eerie. Don't use goofy or obvious music, like The Twilight Zone or something like that. While the series is quality spook, it'll turn your game into a farce. Also, speaking of taking breaks, when you're deep in the story and you've gotten the characters right where you want them, and the players are shaking and scared for their characters' lives, and they could be gotten by the forces of darkness at any moment, don't Get the idea that things are getting too heavy, and try to inject a bit of lightness into it. This can kill the mood for the rest of the game. Chances are, the players are enjoying the fright, and pulling them out of it will result in a backlash. If you want to lighten the mood, do it naturally, like after the danger has passed, and the players are catching their breath. Case in point, my GM wanted to do that during a Call of Cthulhu game I played in. I was alone with my girlfriend's character in the attic. And we found something, and the GM called for a sanity check. We were scared, because there were zombies downstairs. There were other things in the shadows we didn't know about. And then he calls for a sanity check. She made it. I failed. And what did we find? We found a Velvet Elvis. The Velvet Elvis portrayed the, later in his career, Fat Elvis in a crotchless g-string and, well, we'll just say the words, unnatural acts. Unfortunately, that just killed the mood completely for me. It was funny, but... You know, that's really not what we wanted in Call of Cthulhu. Up until that point, I was completely filled with dread, and I was loving every moment of that. DON'T. DO. THIS. Now, when you're bringing monsters into it, do keep them in the shadows, at least at first. Lack of knowledge will scare anyone. If they don't know what they're fighting or what's chasing them, it'll drive them into a state of panic. Sooner or later, you'll have to bring them into the light of day, or at least the light of the flashlights. But don't do that until you absolutely have to. Minor monsters? They'll keep them shadowed for a short time, then bring them out. You know, they might turn around from the closet and say, Ah, there's nothing there, and then the hand clamps down on their shoulders. Now, main villains? Well, let let them pick off the main characters one by one, and then reveal him to the last man standing. (laughs) But when you're using monsters, don't overpopulate the game with them. That might work for D&D or for a George Romero movie, but not this kind of horror. When used sparingly, monsters are much scarier. Also, don't turn your game into a combat machine. This isn't Doom. Now if the players decide to go shopping at the local NRA store and come packing tons of heat, you can still use that to your advantage. Just make sure that they run out of bullets after they shoot after every little noise. Once their ammo is gone, reveal that their car has been destroyed. Then start using the tricks that you've already learned here. you're going to want to get some inspiration for your game. And I encourage that, but do be careful. You want to use fictional sources for your inspiration. Don't go looking for the Necronomicon in paperback, or the Satanic Bible, or books on black magic at your local occult bookstore. Please don't. You might be using it for fun, but some serious things can start happening if you're too careless with these kind of materials. Stay away th- from them and keep with fictional sources, please. And speaking of fiction, you know, do feel free to use literary conventions like flashbacks and foreshadowing, monsters often have a history that characters will find out about eventually. And don't be afraid that the characters are probably doomed. Very doomed. Terribly doomed. In fact, involve the characters more directly. Make their fates specific to each character. These little hints will make your game much more interesting and enjoyable. Now get out there and knock them dead. Tonight, I've decided to include a free gift with tonight's podcast. You'll find a link to a marvelous PDF, which is Introduction to the Chill RPG, which was published by Mayfair, and is one of the classics of scary role-playing. It's essentially a fast-play game with all the rules you'll need to play. There are sample characters and a full-out adventure, which is great for beginners. Give it a shot if you've never GM'd horror before. Or even if you have, you can have more fun with it. That's all for tonight. Next episode will be November 8th, where I'll be going into Adventure Construction 101. You'll find us here at the same location, www.rpgshowcase.com, and you're still welcome to email me on anything you like at mike at rpgshowcase.com, or feel free just to leave a uh, comment in the comments section. I'm going to start reading listener mail on the air soon. If you don't want to be read aloud, let me know. Otherwise, you're going to get to hear yourself on the air. Thanks for joining me, and have a happy and horror-filled Halloween.